0: Welcome to Creating Your Happy Place, a podcast that explores how our spaces support or sabotage our happiness and then empowers you to do whatever it takes to get happy at home. I'm Rebecca West, host of Creating Your Happy Place and author of the book, Happy Starts at Home, and I'm so glad you're here today. Now, this year has brought a lot of unexpected challenges our way, but September brought special challenges to parents who suddenly found themselves homeschooling by no choice of their own. I thought it would be great to spend an episode chatting with someone who successfully navigated the challenges of homeschooling, giving all you parents out there some hope. Now, when I reached out to interview today's guest, I had no idea how perfect a fit she'd be for talking about homeschooling in the midst of a crisis. Our guest today didn't just homeschool four kids. She didn't just figure out how to keep homeschooling through a divorce, and she didn't just figure out how to start her own family law practice while still homeschooling two of her kids. She and her kids are also survivors of Hurricane Katrina. I can't think of anyone more suited for giving us hope and direction in these strange times. I am delighted to welcome to the show Elise Bowie. Welcome, Elise. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to be here, Rebecca. I am so excited about this conversation. You and your husband are living in Union, Washington, but our story goes back to when you were raising four kids while living in New Orleans. And before we dive into some of the advice you might share with parents who are navigating homeschooling, I wanna start in the middle of your adventure. You shared with me that as Hurricane Katrina was approaching, your best friend was in a coma in the hospital. So set the stage for us. There you are, living your day-to-day
1: life, helping a friend while a storm approaches. Well, it's, it's kind of that crazy. I mean, we were living in New Orleans and my friend had been diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. That's its own story in and of itself. And she had six of her own children. She was a single mom with six children. And she had had problems at her chemotherapy, and that's what put her in the coma. And this was the Friday right before Hurricane Katrina. Now, you have to realize at this moment, on Friday, everyone in New Orleans thought Hurricane Katrina was going to Florida. So all this craziness is happening with my friend at the hospital, her husband, ex-husband at the time, he's an emergency room doctor, he literally saved her life as we went from the chemo room into the ER. I won't bore you with all the details (laughs) of him, you know, jumping on her gurney, saving her. I mean, it was pretty dramatic. But that being said, so there I am in the ICU with her. My husband at the time, who is now my ex-husband, but my husband contacted me and said, Elise, we need to evacuate. Like there's a storm coming. And I was like, what are you talking about? Evacuate? I was like, we don't evacuate. I've lived in New Orleans my whole life. I've never evacuated. Like, we're fine. You know, we get a generator, everything's good. He's like, no, you don't understand, least This is serious. We need to evacuate. The storm is coming. You know, the mayor just went on the TV. And so I went out to that ICU where they have TVs and the nurse was there and I asked her and she was like, oh yeah, you need to evacuate. And so, I mean, that started this whole kind of frantic process of figuring out, what to do, what to do with my friend's children, what to do with our children. At the time we had a dog and a cat and we had to figure out what to do with our pets. And it was a pretty, pretty stressful event for yeah, I can trying to figure out. And I had elderly parents there as well in New Orleans. So I needed to figure out how to evacuate them and where to evacuate them. I got arrangements for my friend's children, I got arrangements for my parents. We then evacuated to Georgia to where his parents lived. We did not tell them we were coming. They were not going to be so thrilled. Um, oh my gosh. They're not kind of the best at pivoting, let's say. You know, <laughs> it's like all of a sudden six people and pets are showing up on your doorstep. That would not have gone over well. So we just decided to show up. But, um, <laughs> So that was probably the best because they didn't have any time to get concerned or start baking or whatever people in Georgia do when they get ready for arrival. So we just got there and there we were in Georgia and obviously our two days that we thought we were evacuating. I mean, we lived in Georgia for a year thereafter. Wow. At the time I was homeschooling my children in New Orleans and so, you know, when we moved, it was like, okay, well, now we homeschool in Georgia. And so, and obviously there was so much more to just the homeschooling because my children had just lost, I mean, everything they knew, their home and all of our cell phones did not work. I mean, that was a big thing mm-hmm. that people learned in Hurricane Katrina was all these cell towers went down. So people that you, you know, you were used to having texting relationships or whatever keeping up with my children couldn't keep up with any of their friends and that was really hard because everyone had evacuated all around the country and people just couldn't keep up with each other and so I think for me one of the biggest things I had to do was figure out how to maintain my children's mental health during this time when all of a sudden everything was flipped upside down.
0: Right, which is so much what people are going through right now. Yes, we have way more technology now to keep connected, but mental health is a big concern for people of all ages. Oh, it's huge. Yeah. Now, so you, you evacuated, you, you land on your in-laws' doorstep. Did they have room for you? Did they have a big house, little house? What was the, what was the accommodations like?
1: Well, I mean, they have a three-bedroom house, so, you know, it, it worked. The wonderful thing about their home, they live in this tiny rural town in Georgia, and so they live on all this land surrounded, I mean, surrounded by blueberry bushes. Oh, wow. Only imagine the amount of blueberries we can eat all day. so But then we also picked blueberries to bake. I had homeschooled already from New Orleans, and I was definitely a homeschooler in the unschooling kind of mindset where I tried to bring in a lot of real life uses of things to show children like how does math apply to things and i can tell you baking is like a huge math i mean we do so many lessons in math through baking so we learn to bake everything blueberry
0: I mean, <laughs> and i think when we were talking earlier you said that your kids at the time were as young as 3
1: i had 3 to 9
0: Yeah, and so you're all
1: learning experientially, it sounds like. We use some curriculum. I mean, we, though, did not homeschool for religious reasons, there is a curriculum that we loved called Sunlight, which is a a Christian based curriculum, but I felt that they just did an excellent job of curating. Mostly the literature that was available for young people and a lot of historical fiction. Every year at the beginning of the year, in the summer, I would sit down with all four of the children and I would talk about what they wanted to learn that next year. So, and my children were very into history. They all loved history. That was like, kind of like life drama being played out. And so they would all pick a historical time period they wanted to learn. And so oftentimes, they wouldn't be the same. So I might be teaching a five-year-old about the Renaissance, and then I might be teaching a seven-year-old about modern American history. Sunlight allowed me to bring all that together because they would curate for every historical period a lot of the literature that would be applicable, and then tie in a lot of the science that was developing at the time as well. So we would use that Mm. kind of as a base, and then we also used a math curriculum. We used Saxon mostly for all four children. And so that was something they did that was curriculum-based where they would have to do some tests, some worksheets, you know, standard things, just to kind of make sure they stayed on track with that. But I would say the rest was experiential or what I called unschooling.
0: Were you doing it just as
1: experientially before the hurricane? I would say, yes, I would say we stayed the same. Like we would go to plays, we would go to operas. We did all kinds of outdoor activities. My boys would, I mean, I remember they built like this sailboat that they figured out how to sail all the way across the lake. And then my little one who was five at the time of this, he would get in a canoe, like, you know, all with his life jacket on and he'd canoe around to see where the sailboat had landed on the shores of the lake. And people probably think, oh, how can you do that? Or how does that work? I mean, it's really amazing what kids will learn if you will kind of let them run with what they're curious about and what they're interested in.
0: Well, this all hits close to home for me because I grew up in a very traditional system. I was always in normal, standard school. But on vacations, I would go visit my mother because my parents were divorced and she actually employed a lot of what you're describing. I remember this one adventure we had We were going to travel all over San Francisco, but it was my job, I was probably 10, 11, 12 at the time, to determine how we would get from place to place to place, and I was only allowed to use the same kind of transportation once. So I remember that day I I got us a taxi, we walked, we used the BART system, and I had to buy the tickets, and I had to navigate, and I had these wonderful moments of experiential learning while still being a totally normal standard school attendee and those are some of my best memories and
1: I learned so much from having to just figure it out oh I think it's I really think it's invaluable I mean we used to do a thing I mean just picture four kids you know seven and under trying to grocery shop that's (laughs) kind of a nightmare in normal scenarios but i mean i created this whole system where i would write out a grocery list in quadrants and so i'd rip it all up everybody got a quarter of the paper everybody had a budget on their quadrant so they had to then figure and i mean even the little bitty one so Mm -hmm. there's my three-year-old now his budget was usually smaller and the stuff was bigger so he would it would be easier for him to navigate but I would make it obviously, you know, as developmentally appropriate as I could. Usually I'd pair up two kids together. So the oldest was with the littlest and then the two middle boys were together and they would go off and get their groceries, come back. And then all part of it was then them planning meals and they would help with cooking as well. And if I gave them a recipe, especially the oldest, I would be like, well, you're gonna have to double that or triple that. And so then she would have to figure that out. Right. I mean, it sounds so silly, but it allowed, my children learned so much about budgeting, about how to plan for meals, how to pay for them, you know? Right. Life skills. Truly, truly life skills. Absolute life skills. And we also learned horseback riding. I mean, as part of my children's mental health. I signed us all up as a family to take horseback riding, but we weren't able to really afford horseback riding at the time. So we bartered um, with the barn owner and we would go to her barn and we would muck stalls and get the horses ready for her other lessons. And then she would provide horseback riding lessons for all four kids and myself. And we would spend hours every day at the barn.
0: I'm wondering too, I think a lot of people might be listening in and wondering about it financially right so like with the horseback riding you guys basically volunteered your services in exchange for the horseback riding they might be hearing that you and your husband were attorneys and thinking okay well then they just had a bunch of disposable income do you think money is a part of this conversation or is it Um, no
1: (laughs) to tell you i don't mean to laugh to say that we had no disposable income is an understatement my husband and i are both attorneys neither of us are licensed in Georgia. So it wasn't like, oh, all of a sudden, we're going to move to Georgia and could start working. I mean, Mm -hmm. we both would have to get rebarred and relicensed, which is about a year long process. Wow. I mean, we actually evacuated from Hurricane Katrina with $150 to our name. I mean, that is its own story in and of itself. I mean, my husband did plaintiff's work and personal injury work. And at the time I was not working. So he was the sole breadwinner. He had settled a case that Friday before Hurricane Katrina hit. But like I said, nobody thought the hurricane was coming to New Orleans. He and his client were like, okay, we'll meet next week. We'll sign the papers, blah, blah, blah. Well, next week never came. I mean, the hurricane came. So we evacuated to Georgia. My husband had not done the, you know, the settling of that money. So he's holding on to this money that needs to go in a trust account. Our bank in New Orleans was obliterated. So he literally, when we evacuated to Georgia, he had to drive to Atlanta, Georgia in order to open a trust account, even though he did not have a license in Georgia in order to deposit this client's money because that is what you had to do. And then, I mean, the story gets worse. So we evacuated and <laughs> on Tuesday morning, My husband is sitting there at his den in Georgia with his family around. And he was like, what? And he starts like saying all these things. I was like, what's the matter? He's like, that's my client's family on the CNN. He died in Hurricane Katrina. Oh no. So to say we were never going to have that money and that, I mean, so we had nothing. So money had nothing to do with our ability to be able to homeschool. I think, if anything, it made me more creative in using free resources. I mean, the library was, I mean, I know every librarian in Sylvania, Georgia, in New Orleans, in (laughs) Minnesota. I mean, the library was a huge resource. I mean, we would, we got library cards for all of us. So we had six people and most libraries allowed you to take, take out 45 items per person. So I mean, oftentimes we would have, more than 100 items out. And my kids also swam competitively. And that was something they did every single day of their lives. And really, since they were young, and like, that's another example of something I couldn't afford the swim team at the time. I mean, there was no way I could afford to put these kids on a swim team at that point. I mean, they were very generous, they offered us financial aid. And obviously, since then, I've been able to pay them back in spades and, you know, be able to support them in offering further scholarships to families, because swimming Aww. can be really expensive.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You you mentioned that after, so you evacuated, you're living in Georgia, you were trying to decide what to do with your house in New Orleans, and the, your whole family went back and rehabbed the house for sales? We did.
1: Yeah, we did everything. We painted. I mean, now that was chaotic. I mean, <laughs> Like there was no order to painting with four children under 10. I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was very interesting and we spilled an awful lot of paint. But, and also I didn't realize the things people put down, the splatter cloths really matter. I thought, <laughs> We're not going to make that much mess. We painted an entire room bright yellow and we ended up with thousands of yellow dots on our wood floor. And Mm -hmm. so we spent the next month, like every day, I would tell like my oldest daughter, I'd be like, you get up a hundred dots. I would tell my little (laughs) three-year-old, you get up 20 dots today. So they'd have to count dots and they would get up their dots. It took forever to clean that floor. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So let's
0: talk a little bit about the home as, as a part of homeschooling, right? Like
1: How'd you set it up? How'd you make it work? I would say, I mean, for me, the three things that were the most important, and they're pretty, I mean, they sound more theoretical, but I mean, they came into play all the time. One was waking up optimistically, like whatever happened the day before, I call it kicking the bucket. So every night when I go to bed, I kick the bucket. So any, you know, water, dirty water, anything that's in that bucket is knocked (laughs) over. So when I start the next day, my bucket is fresh. I'm ready for new stuff that the kids will bring to me and they always (laughs) do. The second is just being flexible and being able to pivot. And I think as far as like this pandemic goes, that being able to pivot is critical. So like when you look at your house, like when we started homeschooling in New Orleans, I had a typical Southern home that had a formal living room, a formal dining room, a kitchen, you know, four bedrooms, our living room that turned into a, a learning studio, which was our schooling room, which had, you know, computer in it, a large table where we did projects, science projects. And then our formal dining room was our playroom. And we put shelves all on every wall. It was covered in children's artwork and it was the playroom. So when I was dealing with older children, let's say a first grader or a second grader, I needed to sit down and maybe go over something like a lesson, my little ones could be in there playing and they were right there so I could hear them, you know, and I could close the, the French doors and I could still see them, but they were, you know, not underfoot. And that little playroom area was also hooked to our kitchen. So when I was doing my, you know, baking math with, which I did all the time, <laughs> learn fractions and how to multiply fractions with recipes I could be right there with the child in the kitchen, but also watching the little ones. You know, obviously adding on the work piece is another complexity. And at the time I was helping my husband with things. So I would use our breakfast table. Like that was mom's workspace when I was doing things to help him with his legal practice, the kitchen. I'd have somebody in there doing their baking or whatever. Then I'd have children in the next room playing. And so it was just, I mean, being flexible. Yeah. Now, did your
0: kids all, I mean, I think in Georgia, you're all sharing a room or at least all the kids were. Did they
1: always share a room? Did they ever have their own spaces? How did that oh, work out? In New Orleans, they all had their own rooms. And and then when we moved to Minnesota, the, well, the two littlest ones shared, but everyone else had their own room. And then then when we moved out here to Seattle, they've all had their own room. I think having your own space is very helpful for children.
0: Yeah do you find did you find that some of them needed to be very social while studying and they did better like in the dining room and others really wanted a desk in their own space and how did you navigate that
1: absolutely i mean we had one who could literally sit i mean there could have been a war going on and the homework was done fine others would be like oh my gosh i can't do anything and so you know again you just have to be flexible and you've got to work with that and I always use my room as an, another space for them. So if I had a child who needed quiet, or if maybe their brother was picking on them or whatever, my room would become that other room that they could use. And so it's funny, I was actually saying to a client the other day, he was talking about his voice struggling. And I was like, well, why don't you use your room? And he's like, well, it's my room. And I was like, well, but what are you doing in it from eight to five? On the- <laughs> And he was like, well, nothing. And I was like, well, you might solve some of these problems if you could set up a little space in there that, you know, your son could use.
0: That's a really interesting point. I was talking to another guest on a different episode about how in really small urban spaces, parents will frequently have a Murphy bed in their living room. So at night it becomes a bedroom and at daytime, it's a living room. And I think a lot of people think about multi-use, but they don't necessarily think about it in shifts, right? So during one period of time, it can operate one way right. and then it can close that door, maybe literally, and operate a different way.
1: Exactly. Be flexible with the use of your rooms. You know, don't just think of your rooms in those typical ways. Um, Think about the things you do in every room, and think about the learning that your children can gain while you are doing your most basic tasks. I mean, getting your children involved in understanding how to save files on a computer, like in Dropbox. I mean, that sounds silly, but it's a huge skill that children need. teaching them how to use the scanner, how to use your shredder, all the things that you think of, these are all skills they can develop and use in getting jobs. I mean, all of my children have worked in my law firm at some point doing something, (laughs) every single one, I kid you not, those skills really can carry over, you know, where they can go get then other jobs and do things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, I, th- I think you should think about the outside of your home. I think sometimes we forget about the outside. I mean, my son built us a dog pen that required all kinds of math skills where he had to put together what he was doing, how he was going to deal with the depth in comparison to the septic tank. I mean, all kinds of things. And really utilizing your space completely when we moved out here to our house in Union, we really sized down, you know, from our house in Seattle. And it's been interesting because even out here, we created this little outside space that's technically like an outside patio. It's got a fireplace, whatever. The whole pandemic, that has been my office. I didn't realize I was moving to my little house in Union for a pandemic. I thought it was my (laughs) second home, you know, but my husband's work is here. My work is here, and so I now work outside by the fireplace, and it's been kind of lovely.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, So all those silver linings that are everywhere. So I'm hearing some definite themes. One is, you said, of course, like having a sense of humor, being flexible, but you're also calling in a lot of resources, and you're not afraid to ask for help, it sounds like, financially and in terms of resources and you're just kind of in a figure this out mode, not just they, we have to figure this out, but with that mentality of we can figure this out.
1: Oh, well, I mean, it's funny when I was going through my divorce, I mean, I became, I had this word or this theme and it was, I can do it. And I literally, that's kind of how I look at a lot of things. I'm like, I can do it. (laughs) We'll figure it out. And I think with homeschooling, I mean, I think with practicing law, you know, moving to a new town and having to learn I mean, I didn't know a soul in Seattle when I started my practice here. And just um, being able to figure that out, find the right resources. And I think there are so many resources out there and there are so many people with expertise in areas. And I mean, now with the technology that's available, I mean, I have people who have worked in my office who they are using like their in-laws to help teach certain things. Like they have FaceTime and story time every day for a certain mm-hmm. time with in-laws in New York. So they're in Seattle, the grandparents in New York are doing story time and that gives her an hour to you know, run through her emails really quick and do what she needs to do. And so people are being really creative and I think there's so much out there that we can use. But I mean, I am a firm believer. I mean, I kind of joke that it's my blonde self. I mean, I'm just comfortable asking for help. <laughs> so. I just say when I don't know something. I mean, I'm the first to raise my hand and say, "Hmm, yeah." <laughs> let's go
0: figure well, it. I think that's such a wonderful idea. I can
1: just imagine, you know,
0: let's say you have a grandparent who is an expert in something. Not only does it give the parent a break from teaching, but it gives the two, the grandparent and the child, an opportunity to connect in a very unique way, and to really highlight who the grandparent is as a human. Like we so often don't see behind the the curtain of somebody's professional life, the stuff they're really good at, the stuff they're expert in. And if we can get that, it really levels up our
1: relationships too. Oh, I think it's huge. I mean, one of the things that we had that was such a blessing, my parents bought the house directly behind our house in New Orleans. And we had a little pathway in between the houses My children could just walk back to their grandparents. And my dad had been an attorney and my mom was a a real estate banker who dealt with home mortgages. Then my mom had had a stroke. So there was some, you know, disability there. And my daughter would go and help her just do some basic things like paint her fingernails. Those relationships were invaluable to what they learned. When my parents then sold that house and went and lived in a, a retirement place, one of the ladies in the retirement home was a doctor. She was the first female doctor in the United States. She um, dealt with um, conjoined twins. That was her specialty. She also happened to be this master knitter and crocheter. So my daughter went to her apartment every Tuesday morning. She would give her a lesson on how to use microscopes. And then she taught her to knit. And I learned to knit from my daughter who had learned from this doctor. That's incredible. It was wild. What an amazing opportunity for my daughter to meet such a pioneer woman at such a young age and get to know her on such a personal level. It was, I mean, it it very much shaped who my daughter is today. Uh,
0: So my impression is that homeschooling is harder because you have to be more creative, more flexible, more adaptable, But the rewards sound like that they just
1: outweigh the challenges. I loved it. I mean, I definitely loved homeschooling. And I thought it was a huge benefit for me as a mom, for my children, in many ways. Definitely, it was a lot of work. I spent hours and hours every week thinking about, well, how can I help this child who might be struggling in this? Or what are the techniques that I would use to, you know, Get this child a little more enthusiastic about something or, mm-hmm. you know, if a child was like, mom, I want to learn about, you know, the Arctic shelf's melting life, I would be like, mm, I'll get back to you. <laughs> and I would have to go look it up or find somebody who could help me to get the right resources because my children definitely outthought me often.
0: You know, thought you. I love it.
1: I think that's a lot of parents'
0: fears. They're like, I don't what if I don't know the answer right Because they don't want to look stupid in front of their kids or they don't want to give them the wrong answer.
1: Uh, I think not knowing the answer and this is gonna sound weird is your greatest strength as a parent when you're teaching your children because then what are you doing? You're teaching your child how to figure out the answer themselves. And I mean, with Google, I can't tell you how many times I'm like, well, you're going to have to Google that. I don't know. (laughs) And then I'm like, come back and tell me the answer because I have no idea. I would love to know the answer. And you can then help your child learn to develop those skills. For me, creating independent, self-sufficient, lifelong learners who are kind, that is all very important to me. And that is what I was able to create by homeschooling them and helping them learn to to look at learning as an adventure rather than as something forced down their throats.
0: And as something that only happens during 15 years of one's life. Which is, uh,
1: could you imagine if we all stopped learning at the end of, I mean, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'd be doing now if I stopped learning at the end of college. Totally. I mean, imagine the thousands and thousands and thousands of hours you've spent learning. No kidding, college. no kidding.
0: And now jumping forward to current times, you still have one child at home. I think you transitioned some of your children to normal school, public school at some point, right? I I imagine that people out there are feeling like, you know, are my kids going to end up behind? How are they going to do with the transition from this non-traditional schooling scenario into a traditional schooling scenario? How was that
1: transition? Did you find that they were more prepared, less prepared? Actually, my oldest daughter, when she started going to regular school, she was really pretty stunned at how little they accomplished in a school year. I would say in general, the children were all more prepared. And if anything, my children have all found school to be kind of boring. And, Hmm. you know, they've all graduated with three fives and above they've all gone to college and so I mean not a blip I mean nobody has gone into school and you know the school has said whoa Elise there's some big you know gap here in your child's education that has never occurred
0: it's almost like you are just saying that the hurricane Katrina's and the COVID's of life are the teaching moments like they're not the interruption they are the school
1: Absolutely. I mean, this is life. Like, let's be serious. This pandemic is a perfect example of a left turn. We owe it to our children, I think at least, to teach children how to be resilient and how to have the the proper attitude to get through that left turn because left turns keep coming. I mean, I just think they're part of life. And so in my mind, learning how to pivot, learning how to be resilient and learning how to have a sense of humor are really important life skills and i mean teachers should probably plug their ears but i mean i have to say i probably think it's more important than learning you know how to spell a certain word or learning the date of some battle i mean i think in general teaching your children about a growth mindset is critical to their well-being and especially like you mentioned rebecca when we're talking about mental health issues i mean this becomes pretty profound yeah we all kind of say kind of flippantly, you know, like it doesn't matter what happens, but what you do with what happens. But I mean, that is true. I mean, the reality is there's many more left turns than Hurricane Katrina in COVID, you know, there's divorce, there's sickness in people's lives. I mean, there's disappointment, you know, that happen, and there's failures. And I think we kind of succeed through our failures and through what we learn you know, buy those things. And I have to tell you, in watching my children and what they dealt with, and now watching them through this pandemic, I could not be more proud of each one of my children. I mean, five out of six have all had to get jobs in the pandemic. And they've all done it. And it's been pretty inspirational to watch them be resilient.
0: Yeah. And all lessons that came from many, many, many years earlier when Nobody, nobody saw 2020 coming. Now, I will say that when I listen to your stories, they're wonderful, but they, they sound almost too perfect. You're describing reading with your children and knitting for three hours every afternoon and swimming and horseback riding. I'm guessing that it was not all sunshine and roses. When did it get hard
1: and how did you move through those really, really tough moments? Well, for me, um when things got really, really hard were when we evacuated to Georgia and we were in Georgia for that year and really trying to figure out, okay, what are we doing? Are we moving back to New Orleans? Are we moving somewhere else? You know, my husband and I had already started a divorce thing when we were in New Orleans. So our marriage was already very much over, but we realized we needed to kind of keep it together for the children. And so for me, it was running. I mean, I was a running fanatic, and I would run every morning, I I mean, for a couple hours, and Mm -hmm. running was something that really kept me grounded and kept me happy. Um, And the other thing was really letting the children go out and play. I mean, in my world, and obviously I'm no child expert, I mean, but in my world, children are just happier when they go out and play, and they run around, and they do things. And so... You know, when we were in Georgia, we lived, like I said, on all this land. I sewed my boys these Robin Hood costumes and they would go out and play, I mean, for hours in the woods. They'd bring our dogs, you know, and we had this little motorized John Deere thing and they'd go driving in the trees and they'd come back covered in thorns and dirt and all kinds of things. But allowing them to have that kind of freedom was really helpful And it made it where if they ever started to get kind of cranky, I'd be like, go outside and play. Well, that was the reason we horseback rode too. I thought if I'm going to have kids that are kind of in this funky situation, we're going to go do something powerfully fun and they're going to learn something new. So the horseback riding lessons were huge. Yeah. I'm curious, did you grow up being homeschooled or? Oh, no, no, no. I went to a private school my whole life in New Orleans. I went to a a co-ed private school through seventh grade and then an all-girls private school from seventh grade through graduation. So, I were didn't know you, anything about homeschooling. Were you nervous when you decided that you are going to do this? Absolutely. You are absolutely convinced you're going to ruin your children. Like <laughs> they are going to absolutely never be able to hold down a job because you are not going to teach them the most basic of things. Oh, I was terrified. But being the person that I am, I'm one of those people that will go educate myself really pretty extensively. So, I mean, I spent thousands of hours reading about homeschooling, reading about other families' experiences.
0: I imagine
1: that in the process of
0: homeschooling your kids, you probably learned a lot.
1: Oh, <laughs> I learned a lot, but I also learned that I didn't know a lot.
0: Did you find anything that you you couldn't teach them? You know, I imagine that people are terrified of teaching math or like, what if they're teaching calculus? Like, oh my, oh my gosh. Right. So what, what obstacles did you encounter that kind of just felt like you were a little out of your depth?
1: I would say for me, um, foreign language was one of the things like, I mean, once we got past like Spanish one, (laughs) I was like, all right, I'm probably not the person for this. And so I would use outside resources, whether, I mean, through, at that point, we used Rosetta Stone, which is an online resource. And that was something that, you know, could also be used in the pandemic. I would say foreign language was the worst. I tend to love math. So math was something that worked okay. I never had to teach calculus, though. Let's be serious. I probably would have used a tutor for calculus.
0: So if we just narrow it down to Things that people might consider to set up their home for making homeschooling work well. What are tips you might give people?
1: I mean, probably my biggest advice is to chill out. Kids are gonna be okay. <laughs> and and it's, it is all going to work out. Yeah.
0: Um, so yeah, I actually think that's true. I mean, kids are so resilient. Are the adults gonna be okay? Yeah. You said you used to go running
1: oh running was huge i mean i can't say enough about running like running was literally it saved me because if i was feeling stir crazy or you know i had all the kids i mean i joke about that mom 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 you know just like it was a lot of momming going on (laughs) and so i think that running was huge And I also think having really solid boundaries. I mean, I tried really hard to have solid boundaries around bedtime, you know, where I was like, okay, I am off mom duty. Like, and I'm not saying that all my children were asleep at a certain time because God knows that did not happen. But they knew that, I mean, they were on their own. And, you know, if they were not going to come and get me unless it was actually an emergency. And often I would hear discussions of the level of emergency they thought it was to determine (laughs) whether or not it was appropriate. So it (laughs) sounds
0: like setting boundaries is also really part, a big, uh, important Um, part of this
1: whole thing. Oh, absolutely. And it's harder, obviously, with everyone at home all the time, yet it's more important, I think, And I've seen some creative people have created interesting signs for their workspace where, you know, it'll say like, you may not knock or mom is working and, you know, and you can have different signs. I mean, I used to put signs up. I would just use tape and paper, but just tell my children like the level of what I was doing so they could understand, could they come and interrupt? You know, was it something that I just wanted maybe an hour. I needed some downtime versus I'm doing something very important work-wise. I'm on the phone with the court. I cannot answer your questions unless it really is an emergency.
0: I love that because you're kind of helping them help you. they don't know what situation you're in, and then if they just wander in and start talking to you, you can't really be mad at them for that because you didn't give them all the information to work with.
1: Well, and again, it's all in my mind, we're training these little people to be big people. You know? <laughs> like, and so we want them to understand how do they make decisions when they bump up against a boundary, because mm-hmm. we all bump up against boundaries and we make decisions. Are we going to step back from that boundary and are we going to honor it? Sometimes we're not. I mean, sometimes we're going to have to jump over it and be like, I'm sorry, I, I made a decision <laughs> to jump over it. And obviously, sometimes there's negative consequences, sometimes not, you know, but learning all those things I think is really important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I'm really hearing here is that you believed in your children. And I think that's a real key thing here. You believed they could do it. I see parents who um, do a lot for their children, maybe with the feeling that their ch- children can't do it or just because they don't have the patience to wait for their children to do it or to clean up the mess that happens because they included their children. This is not easy to navigate. No. But believing in your children in the first place sounds like it's a pretty fundamental baseline.
1: I would say it's very fundamental. And I have to tell you, every one of my children has surprised me. They have all gone above and beyond what I ever imagined. I mean, they, they can do and figure out anything. And it shows me as a mom, how we can hold them back, do you know, or we have our own little set ideas about what they should do. And I'll never forget, I had a son who was a freshman, the one at Lakeside, and he literally sat me down. And he's like, Mom, I'm never going to an Ivy League college. He's like, you know, 25% 25% of the school goes to Ivy league schools. That is not my plan. And he said, I'm going to be the best lineman in the state of Washington. He's like, that is what I want to do. He's like, I play football. I want to get really good at it. And I mean, I, I won't tell you his whole story, but he ended up in a massive accident and he is the one now who is a recon Marine and it was wow. his persistence of what he wanted to accomplish, not what I thought he should accomplish. Yeah, It, it makes yep. it even all the more sweet when you watch them set their mind to something and accomplish it. And he knew he could do it. That's awesome. So what would you want to leave people with? That's a big question. Um, I mean, what <laughs> is hope, I mean, hope and optimism that everything is going to be fine. And I think that we all as parents have to chill out. I really do think that and not get so, wrapped up and concerned about things. Like if your child has a meltdown at circle time, oh, well, your child had a meltdown at circle time. And that doesn't mean you're a bad parent or that your child is somehow dysfunctional and they're not going to be able to have circle time one day. I mean, I used to always say when my children would come in at night and they'd sleep on the floor next to me or crawl in the bed, I was like, by the time they get to college, they're going to be able to sleep alone and wrap their (laughs) body, So I'm just not going to get worried about this. Like, you know, there's just certain battles you shouldn't engage in. And I think now with COVID and what we're all dealing with, I mean, I tend to be a big proponent of focusing on mental health. I mean, your child's sound mental health is so much further in import in my mind than the math skills they learn in 2020. You can figure out those math skills, but you cannot fix mental health in the same way If you let it slide, and so I think trying to stay as mentally healthy as possible is what we can do now.
0: Yeah, and earlier you also said it's not forever, and I think it's we've got to remember that from two sides of the coin. Number one, it's not forever. Whatever obnoxious thing that's happening right now is going to stop, but also all the beautiful moments that are happening right now will pass by, and so we want to make sure we don't miss those either. So the the embracing that it's not forever from both the Don't miss it and don't sweat it at the same time.
1: Exactly. That's a great way to put it.
0: Well, where can people find you if they wanted to have your help in the world?
1: Well, I have a law firm, Elise Bowie Family Law. It's Elise, E-L-I-S-E, Bowie, B-U-I-E, Family Law. And we help families in various transition. I spend a lot of time focused on how warring parents can kind of change their mindset into the co-CEO of Teen Child. How can they come together and maximize their children? Yeah. And you guys, I mean,
0: you were on the brink of a divorce and then Hurricane Katrina happened and you stayed together for another five years. Five years. So if anybody can talk to how to navigate
1: that, I guess it would be you. Yes, indeed. Yeah. You definitely learned how to coexist so that we could you know, keep the kids' interest in the forefront. It wasn't the kids' fault. We were going through Hurricane Katrina and all of this. You know, We needed to make sure everybody was stable. Yeah, that's beautiful. This has been such an
0: amazing conversation. I cannot believe the adventures you have had. And I love the incredibly positive way that you just see the world. I think that's something that really can lighten the day for all of us listening. Thank you so much for that.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate
0: it. Such a pleasure. And I hope that you, our listeners, also enjoyed this episode of Creating Your Happy Place and that you feel a little bit more encouraged and empowered to make your home your happy place, no matter what crisis may be coming around the corner next. If you feel stuck, Trying to figure out how to make your home happy, please do check out my book, Happy Starts at Home. It's full of exercises that are meant to help you figure out why your home isn't working for you and identify what creative solutions you could come up with to think differently about how your space is supporting this chapter of your life. And if you have a specific design dilemma in your home, you can also reach out to my team at Seriously Happy Homes because thanks to the magic of the internet, we can help anybody no matter where your home is. But no matter where you call home and no matter how big it is, how small it is, whether it's urban or rural, whether you're homeschooling kids or you're empty nested, I hope it makes you seriously happy. Until next time.